Welcome to Lovin' and Leavin', the podcast where a divorce attorney and a family therapist talk about the issues that affect relationships, marriage, love, and divorce. I am one of your hosts, Mark Schoendorf. I am a practicing divorce attorney in the Chicagoland area. And I'm your co-host, Denise Ombre. I'm a therapist and I help individuals and couples in the northern suburbs of Chicago navigate relationship issues. And we are here to talk about the different things we see in our professional lives when it comes to relationships. Like jealousy. And infidelity. Personalities. And abuse. And everything else that causes people to leave the one they love. And whether or not those things can be fixed. So welcome to Lovin' and Leavin'. So today's topic uh, is a serious topic, and so I want to give everyone out there a little bit of a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about abuse, and not, you know, there are different varieties of abuse, but today we're going to be talking about physical abuse, Um, right? So, uh, okay, well, Denise, how are you? This is a heavy topic. Yes, this is a heavy topic. Yeah, I'm not really looking forward to to talking about this one because it's, uh, it's certainly not fun. No, um, and it's not. Uh, you know, it. I mean, it may be interesting, but I think it's more important than it is interesting. So, I see physical abuse situations in what I do. Yes, in, in divorces, and you see physical abuse situations in what you do. I see mostly the aftermath of physical abusive situations in what I do. Yes, and you see, there's an emotional aftermath. Yes. So, what's going on with physical abuse? What's going on with an abuser? What, you know, what happens here? Well, I think that for abusers, the the main theory is that it's learned behavior, that these people were abused as children and learned that this was the way to control their their life and their situations. The mental health issues and drug abuse are thought to be side effects, not causes so much. And control is the key factor for abusers. So why are they trying to control things? Mostly because they felt so out of control is the theory in their life. And as children, they felt so out of control of everything. Um, and that now they need control over everything. And, and they feel out of control because they were... They ab- were abused. Okay. And And... So they were in a situation where they were not able to control what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. And so now they're grown up and they're trying to control everything. 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 Yeah. And then that manifests in, uh, in obviously the interpersonal relationships, they manifest in abuse. Yeah. But how does that need to control become abuse or physical abuse? Well, I think that's a good question. I think that it doesn't for everybody and that for these people, it manifests as abuse because they can't find any other way to control the situation or control their behavior. They don't know, they don't have any other skills. uh, And this is the only way they know that they learned to, to control what's going on around them and, and, this it's even more than just anger they get angry but it's really about just controlling the people in their life okay and is it safe to assume that people who are physical abusers that's because they were physically abused is there a correlation what kind of of abuse they experienced and the yeah typically they were physically abused yes so if somebody does some other sort of emotional or verbal or financial abuse... It can manifest in other ways. Okay. So 
So people are basically, I mean, an abuser is trying to control the situation, and it's not that they're angry, but that's how it manifests is, is through control and violence. Right. right? So uh, we talked a little bit about the, there's a cycle to abuse, right? There's Yes, there's a cycle to abuse. I mean, typically there's the threats of abuse and the threats that come, and then the ab- trigger and the abuse happens. And then there's the reparation period where they try and make up and either apologize or, you know, try and make things better. And then there's a honeymoon period where things are calmer and they appear calmer, but tensions are building. And then the threats start again. And then the trigger and the abuse starts again. And it goes round and round. The the threats that start, I mean, what, what, in a physical situation, is it threats of physical violence? Yeah. A lot of times it's threats of physical violence, threats if you don't listen to me, I will hurt you. If you don't stop this, you, you don't know what will happen, you know. And then the abuse happens. And then the abuse happens. And then the, then the reparations happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And why, I mean, I don't want to say why the reparations happen, but it seems like the abuser is now, is there some sort of understanding or, or admission in that they know what they've done is wrong, but they... Yeah, sometimes they feel very remorseful and feel bad and they want to change things. They want to be better. They want to not have abused, um, but they they can't control themselves. And then there's a honeymoon period where... And then there's a honeymoon period where things are calmer. Now, how I don't want to say how long the cycle is, because obviously I'm sure it varies. It varies. But I mean, you know, there's cycles that I'm sure can take three days. And there's, I'm sure there's cycles that take weeks, months. I mean, how long can someone go before there's a repeated... There's really no telling. I mean, it really varies. And so then you're, they're in this honeymoon period, but then tensions are building again. Right. And honestly, what's the cause of those tensions? But how do, you know, how those tensions manifest? What do they look like? Well, I think it's different for everybody. It really depends. But, you know, it can be just small things and things where they don't get their way or feel listened to or feel heard or, you know, feel like they're able to control the situation or control the person or, you know, simple things. So I would imagine, you know, sometimes, I mean, as we go through life, uh, you know, things come up in our lives and maybe we see things down the road. We know like a big decision is going to have to be made about something seemingly trivial. Where are we going on vacation? Or, uh, you know, uh, you know, Johnny's got a test coming up and I hope he, he does well. I would assume or think that something like that, even if it's a month away, it's two months away, the victim understands that this is going to be a loggerhead. It is be something that's going to cause tension. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that, that happens, I'm assuming. That happens. Yeah. And then maybe leading up to it, they are afraid of a certain idea or they are, you know. They may be afraid. They may try to mitigate things. They may try to keep it from escalating, but it, ultimately they're not successful. And it's, they're not, it's, it's, a, it's a, because the abuser can't, I don't want to say they can't help themselves, but maybe the abuser feels like this is such a big decision and they need to exert that control and they can't. And anything that is an attack on that mm-hmm. is a trigger. Exactly. You know, the classic example, you know, when I think of a physical physical abuse, I think big, strong man physically abusing, you know, his, you know, not only petite, but, you know, smaller wife, right? Is that is that the paradigm? Is that true? Well, that happens, certainly. I mean, I think that we all think of men as being the major abuser, 
But it also happens that women are abusers. There's one study that says that women are as likely to be abusive to men, but men are less likely to be hurt. So it's a hidden crime when women are abusive to men. So women, there's studies that show that women are as likely to be physically abusive with men as men are with women. Yes. Other studies show that men are more likely to be abusers. Um, so it, it depends on which study you're reading, but, but the fact of the matter is women can be abusive to men, but men are less likely to be hurt. And also men are less likely to call the police. So it's a, it's a hidden crime. Right. So why, why are they less likely to call the police? Because I think they feel they won't be believed. And I think it's a more shameful thing to be abused by your wife. I'm going to interject here. I, I definitely see that. In, in my work, when uh, I've had men, male clients, you know, complain to me that uh, they're uh, afraid of their 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 spouse, their wife, that they've been abused or physically abused, but they are afraid to call the police because they are afraid they won't be believed. Absolutely, and it happens. Absolutely, and, uh, that's kind of an unfortunate situation because, I mean, I hate to tell my clients that, but I say, listen, the cops show up, you know, they're going to believe her. You know, they're not, they're going to take her side. That is just the way, you know, it's, it's a double standard. You know, how do you fix it? You don't want to tell cops to not believe people who say they've been abused. But, um, you know, I think it's a generalized stereotype. We, 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 you know, I think it's harder for people to believe that the women are going to hurt the men versus the men hurting the women. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a harder situation because women are more likely to be the victim. Right. And... And we said that, that men are less like women are less likely to actually hurt the men, or they're less likely to be injured. Yeah, men are less likely to be injured, seriously injured. What's the preferred? I'm say preferred method. What's the more common way that women physically abuse men? Well, I mean, I mean, they push them, they shove them, they hit them. I mean, they do all the typical things. But one thing that I have seen is that they bite them, which is, you know, very painful and leaves marks, and can be seen um, by police. So that's a that's an indicator. Um, you don't see that the reverse of that is often. And then the male abuse, I mean typical punching. Typical and... punching, throwing, hitting. So in terms of you know of the divorce process, I mean it affects the divorce process in a couple of ways. I think the most important thing to understand is that there is a system in place for orders of protection. And every, you know, every state, every, you know, county has them. And uh, in what I see, the process is, it's really there to help victims. And I think it's the best that the system can afford in terms of, of a, you know, a practical solution. And I, we normally don't, on this podcast, this is not meant to be a technical legal um, advice type uh, of podcast, but I'm going to get into it because we may have people out there that don't understand it and are afraid of it. And I always find um, that, uh, you know, and even in other lines of work, I used to do uh, employment and harassment type cases and people, victims are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of, of you know, legal repercussions, but the system is there to, to protect you for speaking up. And, and, and so uh, as, as best as possible. Now, uh, obviously, Somebody who, um, you know, if there's an abuser and they receive an order of protection, you know, it could be a real deterrent. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, also could be just a piece of paper, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's often a trigger. Right. 
Uh, and so, so what? Ha- here's the process. So if somebody is in is an abusive relationship, they're being abused. Uh, they go to the courthouse, and generally courthouses are they have this available, you know, all day, every day. No appointments, don't no notice necessary. Just show up. Oftentimes they'll have people at the courthouse that will help you, you know, fill out the paperwork correctly. And essentially, you're, you're making allegations to the judge, and you're there by yourself. So the the abuser is not there. The abuser does not know about it. Um, they have no notice of this. And uh, you know, you, the you know the victim would you know swear under penalty of perjury, discuss what kind of abuse we're talking about, and the judge would then grant an emergency order of protection. And the I say they're liberally granted. I think that getting an emergency order of protection is not that difficult if you're alleging you know, serious abuse and a concern that it's going to happen in the, you know, the immediate future. So uh, things like, you know, mean text messages or somebody who, you know, promised, you know, says I'm not going to, you know, pay your credit card bill isn't going to get you there. But if there is, you know, the, the shoving, the, the punching, the, the, you know, the actual physical abuse, um, there's violence, uh, you know, verbal threats, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to, you know, beat you or, you know, whatever it is, um, that will get you there. And, you know, judges are going to grant them because no judge really wants to be the one that denied it. And then something horrible happens and they're on the front page and they're the judge that, you know, allowed it, quote unquote, to happen. So so then so the judge grants this order of protection. Then the sheriff, at least in Cook County uh, here in Chicago, the sheriff will, will serve it on the the uh, the other party, the, the abuser. And so once that happens, um, then that person has noticed that there's this order of protection in place and the order will tell them that they can't go back to the house, they can't, you know, talk, you know, contact the, the, the victim. It can protect family members, can protect children. Um, you know, uh, the contact is not just phone. You, you can't be within 500 yards or whatever it is. Facebook, text messages, you know, all that stuff. You can't do any sort of contact that's meant to, um, you know, uh, to abuse or harass the victim. And, and that's, you know, the person's, now they're out of the house, they can't call. Um, I, again, in, in, in here in Chicago, uh, in Illinois, once there's an emergency order of protection in place, you're not allowed to possess firearms. Um, and so those have to be turned over immediately. And, uh, and I think we discussed that, you know, that domestic situations is a, is a huge cause of, uh, uh, you know, of death. Of, you know, a lot of murder victims are because of domestic situations. A lot of firearm victims are because of domestic situations. And so uh, that is meant to take that away. And the deterrent portion is that anything that happens, if they violate that in any way, it is a crime. So even a text message saying, honey, I'm so sorry, uh, you know, I'll never do this again, I promise. You know, it, once they have that order of protection in their hand, they send that text message as nice as it may sound, that's a crime. And, uh, and so that's the real threat here is, uh, you know, if this, something like this happens, you know, you, you got to respect it. And then... There's usually a court date two, three weeks later that allows you to, you know, the the abuser to have his day in court and say, you know, should this be in place? And the the victim can ask the court to make this a, you know, not to say a permanent order, but a long-term order, usually two years. So now the person can't contact, they can't contact each other for two years. And in that period of time, perfect time to file for divorce if there's, you know, obviously a concern there. Um, Once you file for divorce, it takes the case um, the order of protection case uh, here in Illinois will wrap it into the divorce case. So that usually buys you a few more weeks because now instead of having your hearing in front of the domestic violence judge, you're in front of the divorce judge. 
And uh, and then if there are financial concerns, I need to get spouse support, child support going. You can get the ball rolling on that um, somewhat quickly. And so that's how people sort of start to shield themselves. Uh, and the order protection process, again, it's subject to um, misuse uh, because there are a lot of people who will make these allegations just to get their spouse out of the house. And, uh, and then they'll start a divorce that way. Kind of a crappy way to do things. Um, you know, it sort of starts to set things up uh, in terms of visitation and seeing the children. Uh, and, it, you know, it allows the you know, one spouse to try to gain the upper hand. Uh, and it's tough because I represent people who are on both sides of this. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen it misused. And it's hard because you want to, um, obviously we don't want domestic violence happening, but at the same time, we don't know if this is a situation where somebody is um, making a, you know, say a false allegation or trumped up allegation, or they're using it as a tactic. And so I have to represent my, of course, my clients, you know, they always say that none, nothing ever happens. And I take it with a grain of salt. Um, and so then I just have to approach my job as I have to make sure that, that the court process is working, that evidence, you know, is being presented properly. Um, and, and so that uh, uh, decisions are made, you know, with all the information that's available to the court. And, you know, that's the tough part. But I, I definitely warn my clients, you know, to, to tread lightly. A lot of a big question I get is, should I stay in the house? And I say, I mean, you can, but, you know, anything that happens, you know, if it's a man, you know, and, and the, your wife calls the cops and they show up, they're going to probably believe your wife more than you. That something did happen. They're not. They don't want to take the risk that 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 they're wrong. They'd rather err on the side of violence not happening, and so will the judge. And that becomes a problem in and of itself. And so sometimes I'll tell my clients, if you think that's going to happen, if you're afraid that that's going to happen, you might as well just find find your own apartment right now because that's going to happen eventually anyway, and it avoids you know that whole mess. So that's unfortunate. Well, that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, this is not a case that I would see in treatment, a couple like this, because domestic violence is not something you can see as a couple. Uh, it tends to increase the violence in the home instead of decreasing it. And anger management is not an appropriate place for these people because it's not just about anger. It's about control, as we talked about. So they really need a batterer intervention program. Now, the trouble with these is that most of them are are not going to seek treatment on their own. They're going to be court ordered and the court ordered programs are usually between four and six weeks long. And that's not enough time to change anything. How, how much time does someone need? They need at least a year in treatment. Wow. So the court's only making them do six weeks and exactly. they need a year. Exactly. And they need a year in treatment for statistics to really go up in terms of um, the recidivism rate for a batterer. Why does it take so long? Because they really have to to commit to the change and be able to admit um, what is going on for them and and deal with their own abuse history and then deal with the abuse that they have perpetrated on, on another person, and that takes time. They, they essentially, I mean, they have to they have to admit something's wrong with themselves. They have to admit something's wrong with themselves and then deal with all the pain that they've caused and all the pain that they have inside of themselves. We, we did a show uh, on narcissism, mm -hmm. which is essentially somebody who doesn't really have a lot of empathy for other people um, or doesn't really see how other people feel. And it is, it's very difficult for them to admit that they actually have done anything wrong. Have you seen situations where narcissists are also abusive? 
Um, it can happen, but I don't think the typical abuser is a narcissist necessarily. Uh, I think they're, it's a different problem. Uh, it, it's a different personality structure. Obviously a very serious topic um, and a very, uh, it's very heavy and uh, unfortunately it's complicated. Uh, I would say that if anybody's listening that is in an abusive relationship, um, it, obviously our hearts go out to you. I think that uh, um, things are, you know, it seems like there are resources that are available. Yes, there and are. And the, the system is set up to help you. Uh, and even though there's a concern and there are a lot of local uh, uh, resources available. I'm going to point to a national resource, um, which is the, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's at uh, www.thehotline.org. That's one word. Um, they do have a safety alert um, about using computers and, and, and browser histories and things like that. So if that's a concern, then maybe don't do that. Uh, but you can call the hotline at 800-799-7233. Again, that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. We hope if you're in that situation, we would hope you get the help, hope your spouse gets the help that they need, and wish you the best of luck. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lovin' and Leavin'. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please find and like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Tell your friends about us. And of course, if you yourself are having personal or relationship issues that you would like to work on or need help with, and you live in or near Chicago, you can find me on the internet at deniseombre.com. That's A-M-B-R-E. Or call at 847-729-3034. Again, on the web at deniseombre.com or 847-729-3034. If you are unfortunately at a point where your relationship or marriage is not working and you need legal guidance, I am available. I focus on all aspects of family and divorce law, including child custody, support, dividing property, businesses, handling parenting time and visitation, and everything that goes along with it. You can visit me on the web at IllinoisDivorceLaw.net, again, IllinoisDivorceLaw.net, or call 312-878-1202 to set up a consultation. Again, 312-878-1202, and I'd be happy to help. Please mention the podcast when you call. And if there's a topic you think we should cover, let us know on Twitter or Facebook. Thanks again, and join us next time on Lovin' and Leaving.